0: You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. That I'm honored to be here, and I always look forward to being here uh, in the service. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the Word of God this this evening just for a few moments. The book of Titus, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 11. I'm going to steal part of verse 10, uh, but we're reading verse 11 through verse 15. Titus chapter 2 is where our text is going to be found. And uh, we're going to jump into verse 11 all the way down to verse 15. Very familiar passage of scripture. Uh, It says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, Righteously and godly in this present world, that is, this present age, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And I'm going to talk to you for a few moments tonight about the grace of God and how the grace of God saves us, but the grace of God also teaches us. The grace of God also empowers us. And the grace of God also prepares us. What do you mean prepare us? We're going to talk a little bit about the blessed hope tonight the great rapture of the church uh, that should be stirring in our hearts and in our spirits. Every single day, we should be looking forward to the rapture of the church. But the question is, how do I live now in preparation for that great day? We don't live passively, uh, but we live with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, knowing that we cannot approach this life without the Spirit of God moving and operating in us. So we'll teach tonight and preach for just a few moments about the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for this opportunity, this privilege, this church, and these services that have been so powerful, Lord, the music and the musicians and singing. We just thank you, Lord, for every aspect of this service tonight. We pray for the anointing of the Spirit the leading and the guidance of the Spirit to help us, as only you can do, anoint us and anoint the people to hear what I believe you've given us for this service. And Lord, we give you all the glory and the praise, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As we studied tonight, this letter, this brief letter, written to this young man by the name of Titus, this young preacher of the gospel, uh, young man, Paul is writing to, and not just to him, but of course to the church. Uh, I think, you know, as we look in chapter 2, Paul goes into detail concerning some practical things. We need practical teaching, amen? Uh, we, we got doctrine, and we need doctrine, but there, there should be practical teaching. He, he talks to the aged men, and then he talks to the aged women. He tells them, uh, to encourage even the younger women about loving their husbands and about, you know, how to live and about certain things. They're practical things that uh, older men and older women ought to be able to teach the younger generation. Amen? Uh, when, you know, when I was a child, they, we, they, older men would stop us young boys and get on to us, and they would tell us, boy, don't don't wear your clothes like that. They would just say certain things, but it was good practical truth. Amen? Uh, Young women were taught by older women, you know, uh, how to be, you know, adorn themselves properly, according to the scripture. Uh, You know, how to dress in modest apparel. And a lot of people call that legalism. It can get into legalism, but the context here is not to be legalistic, but to teach us how to live for God and to teach us certain aspects of life. In other words, it's not legalistic for an older man to teach you how to save money. It's not legalistic for an older man to teach a young man how to take care of his family, how to pay his bills. Amen, somebody. It's just certain things we ought to know and certain things we ought to be taught. Amen. And Paul goes into detail concerning those things, and then he talks to them about slaves uh, and how the slaves ought to react and act. And, you know, that was at, in that particular culture and time, uh, it, it wasn't much that was very. That was lower than being a slave. And then he told them how to conduct themselves as Christian slaves, that is. You know, how to conduct themselves and how to exemplify Christ's likeness That would translate to us today on our jobs. And that our bosses, the people we work for, they ought to know we're Christian. We shouldn't be the one always have something to say. We shouldn't be late for work. Amen, somebody. They they tell us to be there at 6. We get there at 6.30, and then when we get there, we got an attitude. Don't nobody say nothing to me. (laughs) Not the church, yes, because these are practical things that we ought to know. And that's what Paul is saying. But what I love about the chapter, out of all that he goes into, he makes a statement in, in verse 10 that I really want to go into a little bit. He says, adorn the doctrine of God. our our Savior in all things. We have doctrine, but he says there has to be a practice concerning that doctrine that we have. Kenneth Weiss says if it's no practice, then what we preach is just theory. Think about that for just a moment. If, if there's no practice of what we are preaching, then what we're preaching really is theory. In other words, we don't just stand here and talk about holiness and talk about salvation, talk about the blood of Jesus, talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden we dismiss church and we go out and just live how we want to live. That's not Christianity. That's not the faith. He says we ought to adorn the doctrine of God. In other words, the lifestyle of the Christian should be attractive to the world. Oh, come on now. Think about that for just a moment. That's what it means to adorn the doctrine of God. But Paul, in verse 11, he stops for a moment and says, but I don't want you to think that I'm preaching works righteousness. I don't want you to think that I'm telling you that it is your works that justify you. He takes us back to the grace of God. And then he says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Paul is basically saying grace has been available, made available, I should say, to everyone. That's what I love about the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, is available for all men. This actually teaches that all men are sinners and all men can be saved. The worst of sinners. I love what Sister Becky said, and by the way, you did an outstanding job. Amen, saints? All right. (laughs) I thought she was going to preach for a moment. (laughs) So when you think about grace, think about it. She made a statement that's so profound. It's not just that I'm receiving grace, but we're learning how to extend that grace. If we don't learn how to extend it, then what, what use of are we to the kingdom of God? I, I want to receive grace, but I don't want to just receive it for myself. I want others to receive grace. That means the worst of sinners. This is challenging to our ideologies at times. Come on, think about that for just a moment. That means when you look around and you see the the pushing of immorality, look at television a little bit, which is hard to watch these days, but when you look at it, you see there's just a push for perversion, a push for immorality, a push for all sorts of sexual perversion. And then when you look at those individuals, if we're really looking right, you know what, we have to come to the conclusion and we have to pray, Lord, save that man. Save that woman. Save that individual. I was watching a testimony about a year or so ago. Uh, I'll just say the other day, you know, when you start getting older, you could just start saying the other day, man. That's, that goes from 25 years. Anybody, amen, old folk. <laughs> 25 years to 25 minutes. But it was the other day. That was a younger Uh, There was a young man. He was very confused. He had gone through surgical operations to become a woman. I mean, he was going through depression. I mean, all kinds of things. And one day he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ he said it was that at that moment that he realized that his whole life he was living beneath his purpose. He accepted Jesus Christ as Lord but he didn't just accept him. He began to go back and undo all of the things that he had done. That's salvation. Because salvation is not just I'm getting saved. It's actually a change that takes place. And when the young man got saved. But you know what? It took Believers praying for that individual, as bad as the situation looked at the moment, believers had to teach and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to extend to him the grace of God. Can we extend grace? The text says that grace has appeared to all men. Grace has a name, if I can say it that way, and his name is Jesus Christ. Grace is God's unearned, unmerited, undeserved goodness and favor that is given to undeserving people. Sinners, those who were born in sin, that's you and I. Because all of us were born in sin. Now, I don't believe or teach that we are sinners and Christians at the same time. Now, I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible bears that. I don't know that's a popular mindset. We're all just sinners. Well, no, we were sinners. But now we are saved. Paul didn't write to the church and say to those who are sinners, no, he said those who are saints those who are called to be saints, to the Christians, to the church. We are the body of Christ. Amen, somebody. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer sinners, but we're saints of God now because of the grace of God. And just a few more moments here. I won't be before you long, I promise you. But when you look at the text, Paul said this. He said, grace has appeared to all men. And then he said that grace teaches us. Okay, all people can be saved. And now he says, this same grace that is extended to undeserving, undeserving sinners, this grace is available to the saint of God. What is it? It is the effectual working of the Spirit in my daily life. I still don't deserve grace. And that's the misconception oftentimes in the church. We think now that I'm saved, I can do everything. What do you mean by that? In other words, I'm saved, I can do everything because you know there's a lot of emphasis on self now in church. I can do all things. I can say this, I can say that. But we leave out the the very important and vital caveat in the scripture and that is through Christ. Paul said, wherever I am, whatever position that I am, he says, I can do all things. But he says, through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, what's done in my life is not based on my performance or my trusting in my own ability. But it is his grace that empowers me to do what needs to be done. You and I, we don't deserve this. When you really start talking about the gospel, it's something that I don't deserve. It's a script that's already been written, and Hollywood can't match it. Nobody could write this out. When you think about humanity was lost, born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and God became man and died on the cross and was buried in a tomb, and three days later rose from the dead, and he is now. Ascended into heaven, seated by the right hand of the Father, and if anybody believes that, they become the righteousness of God. Despite what they used to be, God looks at that person and makes them righteous, sanctify them. Then he calls them righteous. He justifies them. Saints, you ought to give God praise tonight because you didn't deserve this, but God did it anyway. That's what I love about the gospel. That's what I love about the gospel. As bad as I was, as messed up as I was, he came anyway. He died anyway. He gave himself for us. That's what makes grace available to the church. You cannot have grace without Calvary. You you can't do that. You can't just say, I'm going to bypass Calvary and give me grace anyway. God says, no, that's not how it works. You can't come. And too much of that is happening. We come to Christ and we want to change the gospel or we want to change what Christianity is I, had, I told a person the other day some of y'all will get it in a minute, I'm probably going to say that a lot I said listen you can't go to your job and do what you want to do how do you think you can come to Christ and just do whatever you want to do think about it that doesn't even work in the natural world we live in and now we want to change the gospel I said listen if you want to be, if you want to get drunk every day, that's your business. You're an adult, you can do that. You're free moral agent, you can go out and do that. There are consequences to it, but if that's what you want to do, do it. Just don't do it and try to bend scripture to fit it. That's, that's, what, that's all I would wish we would do. I had a man uh, to tell me, well, I, I was born uh, a homosexual and, and this is the lifestyle that I live. I'm saved and blah, blah, this and all of that. I said, let me tell you something. God is not going to make you something that he has already condemned. And that's how we kind of ease our minds. We try to make the scripture fit it. No, when you come to Christ, there is a change that has to be made. You don't get saved in sin, you get saved from sin. I was watching the presidential debate a couple of years ago, the other day. <laughs> and I, I won't call the name because I pray for this individual that he does find Christ. But that was one of them, if I, you, you would know the name if I called it. He's obviously openly gay, and, uh, but he, in his words, is a devout Christian and his husband. I said, brother or friend, that's not how Christianity works. You don't just, Christianity is not just a title. That's what we've created in the the climate today in our country and around the world. To where it's a title. And we attach it to what we already are. That's not how it works when you come to Christ. When you come to Christ, the Bible tells us that the person, the old man. That person is crucified. That person is done away with. There is a resurrection. How can all of this happen? Because Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead and he walked out of the tomb. Paul said, know ye not that so many of us as were what? Baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead, the same manner, even so we also should do what? Walk in newness of life. In other words, you don't go down the same path. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus because of grace. I know you may have a problem, you may have a hang-up, you may have a situation of besetting sin. Well, guess what? The new covenant tells you that you can be free from that if you avail yourself to the grace of God. Grace saved me. And then Paul said, grace teaches me. What does grace teach us? Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Now think about that. Grace teaches us not to live lawless lives. What does that mean? That means to just live aimlessly, live with no conviction. That means to walk about and to live a life that's unpleasing to God. You want to know what a lawless life looks like or what ungodliness looks like? Look at what God said about it. You can't go to the news media and find out what ungodliness is. Because I'm going to tell you now, they're going to probably skip over some stuff. You want to know what it is, you got to go to the scripture. And when you go to the scripture, the Bible talks, talks about adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Then he goes into drunkenness. He goes into gossiping. He goes into backbite. He goes into idolatry. He go, I mean, God doesn't leave any stone unturned. And then he tells us, he says, in the present age that you're in, he says, you can live a godly life now. Now, that's what I love about this text. In other words, you don't wait until you're glorified to live holy. He says, you can live holy now. That ought to be good news to you. If there's a struggle in your life, if there's a stronghold in your life, the Bible says you can live holy now. You don't have to wait until the rapture of the church. You can live holy now. You can live a life that's pleasing to God now. Well, the question is how? Because grace doesn't just say this is wrong. That, see, that's what law does. And that's what has happened. You know, and when I was a kid, the church meant well. But I've told this before. My brothers told it. If you grew up in holiness in the circle that I grew up in, man, everything was sin. Mario came home one day and just flat out said, man, I, I want to go to hell. Please, young folks, don't repeat that. But he said, going to heaven is just too hard. Because it was, they were putting so many laws on us, we didn't know how to perform, as Paul said, that which was good. We knew what was right. We wanted to do what was right. But how to perform it, we couldn't find it. Because we were trusting in our own ability or we were trusting in the denomination. We were trusting in the church or trusting in the pastor. And the ones who were telling us what holiness was, they couldn't tell us how to be it. And so the unfortunate thing is this. And I don't say this to Mark or anything. I say it with a broken heart. What they were preaching to us, they weren't living themselves. That's the sad part. And they were threatening and saying, if you do this, if you do that, we're going to put you out of the church. I'm telling you my own experience. I can't preach. You know what I'm saying? This is my experience. That was a threat. So guess what it did to us? It caused fear in us. But you got to remember, the scripture says the fear of man doesn't do what? It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So if you're afraid of Brother Steve and Brother Brian, that doesn't make you righteous. So that is, that's what happens in the church, and, and, and then people start living holy in front of the pastor. But when you go home, you, you do whatever you do. I'm, I'm going, let me get my cigarettes, let me get my dip, let me get everything I do, my alcohol and my perversion. I'm going to do it now because the pastor's not around. That's not deliverance. That's not deliverance. And that's what law produces. It produces a hypocrisy. It produces in us something that we can't do. And Paul says, listen, grace doesn't just give you rules and regulations. Grace gives you power to overcome these things. That's what I love about the truth. Truth doesn't just say, all right, don't do this, don't do that. Touch not, taste not, handle not. If you read Colossians, that's what Paul says. He said, you, you're sitting under these teachers, and all they're telling you to do is not to do this, not to do that, not to do this. always give the example if, you, if you're a child falls into a swimming pool and you stand on the side of the pool and you just keep screaming at the child, get out, get out of the pool, get out of the pool, get out of the pool, you're not helping the child. But if you throw out the lifeline and you pull them out of what you're telling them to get out of, that's grace. Law can't do anything but tell you to get out. But grace tells you to get out, and then it pulls you out. Grace says, give me your hand. I'll pull you out of this if you want to be delivered from it. I'll show you how you can live a life that's pleasing to God. When you think about this, Paul goes several times. Remember, we're practicing what we preach. Amen? I'm not just preaching. I'm not just going to church. I want this to be my practice. So Paul goes into, if you read his other letters, he said, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then he says, walk worthy. Of the calling. He said, walk circumspect. He said, walk not as other Gentiles walk. He says, walk upright before the Lord. He, then he says, walk in love. He said, be imitators of God and walk in love. So many times he tells us to walk, but he tells us how to do it. So I want to say this grace saves me, and grace teaches me how to be holy. But you know what, I'm going to pull that out of verse 10 again, and then it teaches me how to adorn the doctrine of God. Grace teaches me how to live a lifestyle that's attractive to the world. A lot of people are turned off by church before they ever go to church because they see our character and attitude outside of the church. And I'm not saying that's you or whatever the case might be, but that is a reality that we live with. If somebody doesn't want Jesus, it shouldn't be because I got a bad attitude or I have a personal vendetta when I preach and I got to get you straight. That's That's too much in the church. Me and Steve, we can argue and we can fight and all of a sudden, you know, next Sunday, brother Steve can get up here and he can preach against me. That's what we're doing in church now. That's not going to save anybody. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to, instead of feeding the flock of God, I got to get my point across about Brother Steve. Because we let self and flesh get in the way and we start poisoning the people with our personal vendettas. And now people are not coming to church, and we say, where are the people at? Where are the people at? And then the question has to be, where is our character? Where is our godliness? Where are we in extending grace and showing them the love of God? I'm not talking about being passive, but showing the people the love of God. I got to get through this. He says, we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. How many of you in here tonight want to live godly? I know I'm talking to everybody in here, and I know everybody in here who's saved. There's a desire in you to be holy, to be godly, to be righteous. I am the righteousness of God, but I want to live righteously. And then he said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what I wanted to get to. Grace has appeared in the person of Christ. And then he says the blessed hope is going to come, and that's Christ as well. What is the blessed hope of the church? That is what you're living for right now. That is what you're looking forward to right now. You should live in expectation. If you know what time it is, it changes the way you act. What do you mean by that? Paul said in Romans, and that knowing the time... It is high time. He said we've got to awake out of sleep and we've got to walk as is day and not in the night, not in wantonness, not in sexual perversion. This is what Paul said. He said we can't walk in the dark. He said we've got to walk upright before God. And the only way you'll do that, you've got to know what time it is. Church started tonight at 5 o'clock. What did you start doing at 4 o'clock or 3 o'clock? You started getting ready, didn't you? Because you responded to time. When is the church going to start responding to time? When you understand, if you see what's going on in the world, and you see everything, it shouldn't cause a panic. It should cause more of a desire to spread the gospel. Because it should tell me, you know what, the end is near. The end is nearer than when we first believed. That's what the scripture says. And there's no prophecy that has to be Brought to pass before the rapture of the church. No prophecy. That means that the trump of God can blow now. The trump of God could blow when you get home. It could be. And so this is what God is saying. He said you have to live like it's going to happen now. When you go to work, when you go to school, when you're at church, I live, I treat people, I witness to people, I'm in preparation. I don't want to be like the unwise virgins. I want to be like the wise virgins. I want to be ready. I want to have my lamps trimmed. You know what? I want a constant flow of oil. What does that mean? I want a constant flow of the Holy Spirit in my life every single day as a believer because I don't know when he's coming, but I know he's coming. Promise a child that you're coming to pick them up. Watch what that child does. Told my son, my baby boy, the other day, probably about 15 years ago, I believe. I'm being honest with you. I'm coming to get you. I'm going to take you to Uncle. He loves going to Uncle Mario's house, especially when he was a lot younger. That was an everyday question. Dad, can I go to Uncle Mario's house? I'm starting to feel a little some type of way, son. <laughs> Don't you young folks laugh because y'all treat me like that too with Uncle Mario. <laughs> Mario got COVID, remember, and I had to preach the youth rally. It was a couple of years ago. After the service, all I heard were kids coming up to me saying, uh, good sermon, but where's Mario? Well, I, said, well, I did my best. <laughs> But I would tell him, I'm going to pick you up when I get off work or whatever the case might be. And when I, when I pick you up, I'm going to take you to Uncle Mari's house. This is a true story. It would be, I, I didn't get off work to 6 o'clock in the evening or whatever the case might be. He would already, 8 o'clock, he, he sleeps in, but 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, he would have his bag packed. Now, you have to just about kick a little boy to brush their teeth sometimes. Amen, parents. Boy, go brush your teeth. Not that morning. He would clean his bed. He would clean his room. He would have everything ready. When I got home, he'd be sitting on the couch, lotioned up, ready to go. Dad, I'm ready. Because he was expecting me to come back. That's how we ought to be. We ought to be living, packed, ready, ready telling the world who Jesus is. I'm talking about having our lamps trimmed. Everything ought to be in tune and ready because you know what? He said, I'm coming back to get you. Don't let your heart be troubled. He said, I'm coming back to get you. My father's house is filled with mansions. And guess what? You've got a mansion waiting on you and I'm coming back to get you and take you to my father's house. And he said, not only that, but you will forever be with me. We sometimes live like we're going to be here forever. That old song, Beulah Land. There's a line, and I always quote the line It says, there's just a few days left to labor. Saints, there's just a few days left to labor. We need to live with the expected return of Jesus Christ. We need to live understanding I need grace now. I need grace to teach me. Grace teaches me how to treat my wife, treat my husband, treat my children, treat my parents. Grace teaches me everything. Grace empowers me to do it. It doesn't just say go do it, but he empowers me to do it. Grace teaches me all of these things and grace prepares my heart for the trump of God to sound. And you know what? When that trumpet blows, I I heard my brother singing it earlier. We shall wear a crown. Saints, that song always makes me shout because it's true that there's a coming king coming. And things look a little kind of out of sorts right now. When you look at the scope of society and the world you know, the, we, we've been hit in the church. You know, we've been rocked in the church. We Now we've got legislation coming against us. We, we've we had so many things coming against us. There's so much persecution. And now the question is, Lord, when are you going to come get us? When are you going to take us out of here? But the reality is, he said, listen, just prepare yourself. Just be ready. Live like I'm coming today. He says, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming, but I want you to live like I'm coming today. And I want you to be prepared. And I want you to tell the world that Jesus saves I want, if they lock you up go to prison like Paul and start revival in the county jail start revival in the state penitentiary whatever you have to do just be ready because he's coming back again and when he comes this is what I love about the rapture y'all forgive me but I get happy because it's God's rescue plan for the church Calamity is coming to the world that the world has never seen before. There's a tribulation period coming to the world. There's an evil dictator that's going to rise in the world. Theologians call him the Antichrist. Scripture calls him the man of sin. But that time is coming. Jesus said it. The time is coming where God's wrath will be poured out on the earth. But right before that time comes... God's going to signal the end of the age with a blow of a trumpet. And when that trumpet blows, people all over the world are going to ascend up to the clouds and meet Jesus in the air. I want you to imagine CNN and uh, CNBC and whoever else in B.C., Do you realize the panic? Breaking news. I can hear Wolf. No, Lord, let me not call his name. Because, see, they're good about causing panic. If you watch the media, the media have you going crazy just about. When COVID first hit, man, they made you think if you open your front door, you were dead. Am I right about it? Now, I'm not discounting the virus. We know the veracity and the seriousness of the issue, but they, were try- they hyped it up because they politicized it more. And they wanted to control the narrative, and that's what they do. They're controlling the narrative. But this particular time, they won't have an answer. All they're going to be able to say is that planes have begun to fall out of the sky cars that were driving just ran off the road and instantly millions of people at the same time just left planet earth and we don't know where they went they won't have an answer the politicians won't have an answer that's why there's no point in fighting over all this stuff Republicans and Democrats neither one of them will know what to do and we'll be in heaven And then all of a sudden, there's a seven-year period of nothing but calamity. Calamity and destruction everywhere. And all of a sudden, at the end of that time, because that will be to bring Israel back now, because now God's plan with Israel, I won't get into all of that, will begin to unfold again. He'll start back dealing with them specifically. Right now, we're in the church age. He's dealing with the church He's going to take us out of here. It's right here in the scripture, and then he's going to resume his dealings with Israel. At the end of that seven-year period, it's going to look like Israel is destroyed because this Antichrist wants to destroy them because Satan wants to prove God a liar, that Israel is not a covenant nation. God's not going to rescue them. And all of a sudden, two-thirds of them destroyed. Read the Old Testament. Read the Prophets. Half the city taken. And then you read Revelation 19. John, the beloved, says, when all hope was gone, he said, I looked up and I saw a man riding on a white horse. He said, every eye will see him. Now you you, you think, see, Daniel prophesied of the advancement of technology. Now we can take out a cell phone right now you kids, y'all know more about this stuff than me, this Snapchat and all this stuff. I know a little bit about it, but you, you can just, can you imagine with the advancement of technology, how many cell phones are going to be pointed up to the sky? How many social media posts will be trending that day? We just saw a man riding on a white horse that had a name written on him in blood that said king of kings and lord of lords. We don't know who he is, but we see he's got an army with him. Who is the army? It's the church. My God, I love that because that's the reality that you're waiting on. Why not live free now? why not live holy now why not live in grace now why not let grace work now you've got something awaiting you that you don't need to forfeit That's right. he's coming back I love Revelation 19 because uh, John said his vesture was dipped in blood and he had a name written on him and when he comes back that time he's not coming back to be crucified he's not coming back to be spit on He's not coming back as just the carpenter's son. He's coming back as king, as ruler, as Lord. All authority will be put down. And when he steps his foot down on Mount Olivet, the mountain is going to divide asunder. And Israel that seems to be destroyed, they're going to escape and they're going to be saved. And you know what's going to happen next? Every knee. Has got to bow. I don't care what they call themselves. Every Muslim has got to bow. At my God, every false way has got to bow and say, This is Him. He is Lord. He is Savior. And that's what you've got to wait on. Saints, don't forfeit the inheritance that you have. Young people, can I encourage you tonight? Don't forfeit this great victory that you have because what Jesus did at Calvary it's so many blessings awaiting you but you just got to live every day with the hope in your heart. That's why so many people lose their lives and commit suicide. Why? Because they lose hope. They lose hope. But you have hope. You have the great hope. His name is Jesus Christ. That day is coming all because of grace. That day is coming where that trump is going to sound. And when it does blow, saints, I'm excited to tell you that we're getting out of this place. There won't be any more insults. There won't be any more scoffers that say, oh, those are those holy rollers over there. Those are them sanctified folks that speak in tongues. That song y'all sings, the first time I heard it was at this church. I was in Kings Mountain, North Carolina a few weeks ago, and they began to sing it. I said, wait a minute, that's that song I heard the other day at Faith Worship Center. Well, that old lady, she said, when I die, I'm going to die speaking in tongues. Y'all, Surely y'all know that song, right? That's what I want, saints of God. I want to die. I want to leave here. If I die before the rapture, I'm still going. But if I'm here, that's the good news. When the trump sounds, the Bible says that corrupt will put on incorruption. And mortal will put on immortality. And then we will be changed instantly. And the saying will be brought to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. O grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God. But thanks be unto God who always gives us the victory. How? Through Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet all over the house of God? Singers and musicians, you can come. The blessed hope is coming. But live now, not passively. Live now with expectation. Live now. And I want to encourage you. I don't know if, where my brother at, If you know that song, If Not For Grace. If you don't know it, make it up as you go. <laughs> it just simply says, where would I be? You only know. All right, I'll sing it then. Just Give me a key. We'll go with it. Paul said, adorn the doctrine of God. I want to leave you with that thought tonight. Make that doctrine of the cross look attractive. How? By practicing it. Not just preaching it, but make it attractive. Make it decorate. That's what adorn. When you think about decorating, it's Christmas time. What do we love to do? We love to kind of walk, drive around and look at decorations, right? When people see the church, they ought to see the decor. Not on the building, but in the lifestyle of the people. In the lifestyle of the people. When you think about grace, you think about what God has given you that you didn't deserve. That's what you think about when you think about grace. And I I shared this when I was at camp last year in Louisiana. Brother Clint Brown talked about grace and another aspect, and that was that he was supposed to catch a flight. I think it was to Dallas or somewhere. And when he was going to the airport to catch his flight, they had given his flight away. And anybody in here, if you fly, you know how that feels. That's frustrating if you miss your flight. But when he... Got home that night. He was late, and he was frustrated because they had given his flight away, but he was sitting in his living room, and he was watching the news. And while he was watching the news, it came across breaking news. That flight that he missed crashed, and every person on that flight died. Every person. Sometimes you need to rejoice for grace because there's some stuff that you didn't know that God kept you from. I don't know why I didn't go to that school, or I don't know why I didn't get that job, but God knows. And he protected your life. And that man sat down that night on his piano as soon as that happened, and he began to play, and he began to just write the words, where would I be? You only know. I'm glad you see through eyes of love. And then he says, me, I'm just an empty case. An empty space. And then he says, if not, for grace. And it just goes into the song, Amazing Grace. If you can just sing. If you just sing that old hymn, Amazing Grace, we'll be all right right there. And while they sing Amazing Grace, how won't you who are here tonight? I know we're closing out the revival, but we're not closing out the church. We're not closing out our walks with God Maybe this weekend the Lord has been dealing with you and touching you in whatever way, whatever capacity. Maybe you just need strength. Maybe you just need something to take back to school. You're you're praying for a close friend. I want to say this. I feel this in my heart for some of you young people. You've got a close friend that's living ungodly, and you're looking for answers and direction. Let me tell you, it's grace. It's grace that's going to save that person. And I want you to come tonight. Just stand in the gap for them tonight. Stand in the gap for that person who's bound by drugs, that son or that daughter that you may have that's bound by sin. Come tonight and say, God, I'm believing you, that they will receive the grace of God. Come on tonight. Let's come around this altar and let's just begin to pray. Let's begin to seek God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In grace, sweet the if you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, You can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you, and God bless you and your family.